Good afternoon, professors, and welcome to Three Deeper Cuts, your lifestyle magazine for the practicing surgical pathologist and enthusiasts of human disease. I'm your host, Chuck G. Every week we bring you something to think about, something to read, or something to listen to. Three Deeper Cuts is brought to you by Formalin Fixed Paraffin Embedded Tissue. Emphasis on the formalin, because without the high exposure to 10% buffered neutral formalin that I experienced in my four years of residency in St. Louis, I wouldn't be able to think of half of the things that I write about here at 3D Percuts Publishing. So if you're not a pathologist and you're listening to this right now, thank you and welcome. Well, fam, couple of announcements for today. What happened this week? Things were good. Listen to a couple interesting podcasts, one being Elon Musk on Lex Friedman. His take on world peace was interesting, and I hadn't thought that way before. I, maybe I did think that way, but it wasn't socially acceptable to say, but it was good to hear him and Lex Friedman talk about this. They, they mentioned what would happen if human beings had peace forced upon them. I mean, throughout history, all great civilizations have been combat-focused civilizations, whether that be the ancient Mauryan Empire in India, King Ashoka, or the great Roman Empire, the British Empire, the Spanish Empire, the United States. We thrive on hostility. What would happen if we had forced peace? Would we, would we really be a free society? I don't know. I doubt it, but it, uh, it's an interesting discussion. And I don't mean to trivialize war, being that it is Veterans Day. Big hug to all my fellow veterans out there, if you happen to be listening. I hope you're doing well. And I hope your families are doing well. What else? Grok is out. The AI for the X platform. The AI that may end up being better than ChatGPT and certainly has a sense of humor. Uh, so I asked myself, where does this come from? And I don't know if you knew this, but Grok is actually, uh, it's like a verb from the novel uh, by Robert A. Heinlein that came out in 1961 called Stranger in a Strange Land. And I bought a copy of this book. And anytime I have a new book, I just flip to like three quarters through the book and I just read for 60 minutes and see if it grabs me. And this book grabbed me. And so I went back this morning and I started reading it from uh, from page one and it's awesome it, it's it's just really interesting this book about a guy Michael <laughs> this random guy named Michael Smith uh, who is a human being who was raised on Mars without any exposure to human beings and then through a space voyage is somehow brought back to the United States, so Earth, and 
the beginning of the book, it, I think it takes place in D.C. So you just, it's basically him interacting with his nurse. He's in this hospital bed and he'd, he'd never even been exposed to a woman. So it's interesting. By page six or eight or ten, I, I can't remember exactly, but they introduce the word grok. Uh, grokking. And I I haven't looked this up yet because I try to blind myself whenever I'm reading these, you know, new books from a different time. And what I gather is that grokking is like a word that means to understand or to connect with. That's what I'm gathering from this. uh, Sometimes it's used in the way of uh, like to assist that's what I'm gathering just in, in my first couple hours reading this book. But I would recommend you get this. It's by Robert A. Heinlein. Let me just read you the introduction. Robert Anson Heinlein was born in Missouri in 1907 and was raised there. He graduated from the U.S. Naval Academy in 1929, but he was forced by illness to retire from the Navy in 1934. Heinlein settled in California and over the next five years held a variety of jobs while doing postgraduate work in mathematics and physics at the University of California. In 1939, he sold his first science fiction story to Astounding Magazine and soon devoted himself to the genre. He was a four-time winner of the Hugo Award for his novels Stranger in a Strange Land, 1961, Starship Troopers in 1959, and Double Star in 1956. So that's just a brief intro, and then you flip to the next page. This guy was prolific. I mean, there's... 25 books, novels that that he wrote that I have never encountered before. I remember vaguely hearing about this and Starship Troopers. I think I was in high school when that came out as a big screen movie. But in those days, I mean, I was busy with other things. I wasn't, I wasn't as much into, I think formal schooling had chased away the curiosity bug. So I wasn't really reading novels like I am these days. So, therein lies one of the themes of this podcast and this account, Three Deeper Cuts. One of our themes is that we look to books written a long time ago. We are getting out of the 24-hour news cycle that provokes anxiety and negativity, and we're focusing on interesting new ideas from the past. By page 25, he introduces self-driving taxis. In 1961, he was talking about self-driving taxis. That's fascinating. And Elon Musk is uh, must obviously be a big fan of this author because he tweets about him or he posts about him on X from time to time. And that's where I was reminded of this book. So it'll be an interesting journey. And I think that there will be a future Three Deeper, Three Deeper Cuts podcast about this book. So, without further ado, let us segue into the next portion of this podcast, which will be just a read out loud of a couple pieces that I'm working on that I hope you find some value in, um, because these are based off of my personal experiences in medicine over the years, and I wish to share them with you, and you'll find them on the Substack and on my timeline on X. And I hope that there are some lessons in here for somebody who is trying to walk the path in medicine 
or perhaps another branch of the healthcare profession and have a laugh at me and learn learn from some of my mistakes. So here we go. Living Room Fitness, a manifesto by Three Deeper Cuts, part two. There I was, trudging through the fourth floor surgical ward of Clarkson University Hospital. There was a trauma surgeon standing in the service elevator before me, looked to be at least 350 pounds, dark bags under his eyes. He was sweating. In his left hand, a venti caramel latte from the Starbucks in the next building. It was 6.30 a.m., and I had just finished pre-rounding on my trauma patients. A smattering of drunk drivers, motorcyclists with femur fractures, and a token domestic assault case. What's going on today? 450 is ready for discharge. Says who? Says he cut me off. He needs a colostomy. Call colorectal. And with that, he disappeared into the hospital darkness, slurping on his vente latte. At that moment, I knew my decision to be a doctor was a dichotomy, split between the desire to serve patients and the need for self-preservation. I was shuffling through every rotation and had not found anything which would be sustainable from a health standpoint long term. The irony of being a working doctor is that in order to provide the standard of care that you would have to sacri- in order to provide the standard of care you would have to sacrifice your health. In my admissions essay I had told the committee that medicine was my calling. But I didn't want to wind up like that guy. The obese trauma surgeon who looked like he'd had enough trauma of his own. With two years left in school and a looming intern year ahead of me, I became desperate for tactics to maintain health and fitness as a working doc. It took me many iterations over 10 years, but I found something sustainable for the average community physician who values their health as much as the health of their patients. Living Room Fitness Part 2 Tactical Applications for Small Urban Apartments Planning In medical school and residency, you will be on a shoestring budget. The most important decision you make is where you live and who you live with. If you can afford to live alone, please do so. If the rental rates in your city do not allow for this, then you must find a roommate who values physical fitness as much or more than you do. Ground rules need to be set early on with a thread of mutual respect. For example, no loud music and no late-night parties unless neither of us have to be up early the next day. An exception to this noise rule must be the expected shuffle and soft racket necessitated by a 75 minutes by 75 minutes of living room fitness once you set these ground rules then you are ready to set up your small urban apartment equipment in part 1 of this manifesto which you can find on my substack 
we discussed the why behind living room fitness. Now, we discuss the how. This is the basic universal equipment that can be maintained in the nooks and crannies of a 10 by 12 foot living room of a small urban apartment. In your training years, you will inevitably live in a small place in order to be closer to your place of work, usually a large tertiary university hospital in a big city. Number one, a foldable, adjustable flat bench. There are many options here, but you will need something which collapses down and can be stowed beneath your living room sofa or beneath one of the beds in the apartment. Alternatively, you may be able to stow the bench in a coat closet leaned upright against the wall. I have had good results with the Amazon brand Fitform, which costs just under $200 and more than pays for itself. The reason you need a bench is multifold, is multifold. But perhaps the most important exercise for the working dock with suboptimal flexibility and mobility is the ability to perform the dreaded Bulgarian split squat. This exercise provides a deeper range of motion because you are performing it from a deficit. It is performed one leg at a time akin to a single leg deadlift. It is much more forgiving of an exercise for the low back as compared to traditional barbell back squats, which you would unlikely be able to do with a squat rack in a small urban apartment, let alone with good enough form to avoid injury. The flat bench will also allow you to perform an array of dumbbell exercises including chest press, overhead press, single arm rows, tibialis raises, dragon flags, tricep extensions, and so on. But where will the weights come from? Number two, power blocks. Power blocks are an old school technology. They are an adjustable weight system where you simply pull or insert a guide rod into the dumbbell stack to select the desired weight. The stack of power blocks can be extended to a staggering 90 pounds on each side. You may not have Olympic barbells in your small urban apartment, but with the right sequence of exercises, you will not outtrain this stack of dumbbells, at least not on the grueling work schedule of a training doctor or a working doctor in busy community practice. It must also be noted that power blocks afford the user a, del a delightful clack with each repetition, satisfying the obsessive-compulsive nature of most working physicians. This feature alone cannot be overemphasized. Get a set of power blocks, new, direct from the company, or used on eBay. If you stop drinking and do some lift driving for a couple months, your entire, this expense, will easily be covered. The dividends will pay you back for your entire career in medicine. My only regret as a working doc is that I didn't get a sour set of power blocks earlier in my career and instead I wandered through various other forms of extreme exercise before realizing that a safe, intense, and productive workout can be attained within the physical and temporal confines of a small urban apartment during the training, during the training years and in independent practice. 
No need for a trainer. So another backstory behind that is that I used to pursue intense, highly time-committed exercises such as endurance cycling or even jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu, I think, is probably a little easier to squeeze into your schedule as a student or as a trainee, but still you have to adhere to a set schedule. And oftentimes in your training as a physician, you don't have the ability to make demands on your schedule, on your schedule before you end. I mean, unless you're in a private, I mean, it's going to be eight years of training before you wind up in private practice where you have a little bit more flexibility on your time. So having mandatory classes that you have to go to for fitness, in my opinion, is suboptimal. You need a backup plan in your living room to be consistent over time. And consistency, my friends, is the key to success. Moving on. Number three, ballistic training. When I was starting out as a medical student, kettlebell training was still a new phenomenon in the U.S. There were videos by trainers such as Steve Cotter, Steve Maxwell, and Mike Mahler on this topic. YouTube had sparse content. So I mail-ordered a handful of instructional videos from these strength trainers, and it was one of the greatest investments in lifting technique I ever made. What does this mean for you? You need a kettlebell because it is a small piece of equipment which does not take up much floor space in your small urban apartment. Further, the exercises provide high energy expenditure per unit of time invested in training. Kettlebells come in poods, P-O-O-D-S, based on the old Russian and Bulgarian strength programs, 16, 24, or excuse me, 16, 20, 24, 35, 44, 53, 65, and 79 pounds are the common weights. I th- actually, I think I'm mixing up kilograms and pounds, but you get the idea. I think the 16 kilogram corresponds to about uh, 35 pounds, and then the 20 kilogram is, uh, I think, some, somewhere like 40, 24 kilograms. Uh, now you're getting into, in the 50 pound range. These are the common weights. So pick a weight where you can do a single rep of a single arm clean and press. Then drop down one increment. This will give you enough weight to where you feel good resistance, a rebound effect, and room to, pro- to progress. Too much weight and your form will suffer and you will risk injury, particularly throwing out your low back. This potential for injury just might be... This potential for injury must be emphasized... Because as a working professional, you must constantly be aware of the length-tension relationships in all your major, major muscle groups in your body. And you, can't af- you cannot afford to get injured because then you will be unable to provide direct patient care. For example, in your afternoon hours hammering through discharge summaries in the cramped resident workroom, your ergonomics will not be ideal. And this could lead to an injury which steers you off the path and onto the sofa with a heating pad 
and a mouthful of flexoril and ibuprofen. With prolonged sitting, the hamstrings and hip flexors become shortened and relatively weak. The thoracic spine becomes rounded from sitting hunched over in those hospital chairs paired with low-sitting desks from the early 1990s. For example, the average 70-kilogram male could start with a 35-pound or 16-kilogram kettlebell for home use. The specific brand is less important than the quality of the cast iron used. You don't need a fancy competition-grade kettlebell, but if you do choose to get one, consider the Perform Better brand. Not sponsored, but I've used them before, and they are excellent. With this starting weight kettlebell, you will practice the basic movements, including the swing, the snatch, and the overhead press. For details on these movements, just look up Steve Cotter, C-O-T-T-R, on YouTube and watch him perform some of these sample movements safely. Keep your abdominal muscles tight and your low back braced when you engage in any of these movements. If your living situation allows, consider getting a doorway pull-up bar installed in your apartment. Alternatively, make sure you move in that, excuse me, Make sure that before you move in, you have access to a gym with a pull-up bar within walking distance. Living room fitness is not a 100% substitute for going to the gym, but it serves as an excellent backup plan. You should be decompressing the spine with dead hangs and pull-ups every other day if you are training with weights, especially with the dynamics of ballistic training. Otherwise, you risk putting yourself out of commission with a back injury and you will subsequently resist consistent training, defeating the purpose of living room fitness in the first place. Let me say that again. Living room fitness is to forge consistency in your fitness habits. Nothing more and nothing less. I'm not here to sell you snake oil or to somehow convince you that you can attain a bodybuilder's physique using only 35-pound kettlebells doing swings and pull-ups. But what I can guarantee you is that you, if you obsess over consistency above all else, you will be physically and mentally more resilient in the face of un, the unrelenting challenges you will face as a working physician out in the community or perhaps overseas doing service work or deployment-related medical care for all of our military brothers and sisters out there. 3D Percuts is the lifestyle magazine for the practicing pathologist, community-based physician, and other enthusiasts of human disease. It is my core mission to help you, to entertain you, and above all, to help you thrive in the beautiful profession of medicine despite the layers of administrative bullshit that will threaten to destroy your health and your psyche. Join me, fellow physicians, as I have walked this road before and I know your struggles. The 35-pound kettlebell is neatly situated behind your sofa. You won't even know it's there until you need it. Number four. An Ikea trash can and a rock climber's pouch. This is an unusual request, but you'll have to trust me on this. As you, be, as you progress in your journey of consistency in fitness, 
Your hands will become sweaty and riddled with lovely calluses. You must not avoid these marks of success, but rather embrace the challenges which will happen to your hands. You can purchase white lifter's chalk or rock climber's chalk from your favorite sporting goods store or via Amazon. Throw a couple blocks into the small IKEA trash can and a few pebbles into your climber's pouch. Leave that on the side. On the days where you go to the gym or perhaps the calisthenics, this calisthenic section of your local city park, a little bit of chalk in a rock climber's pouch will go a long way in helping you grip the bar properly. And for the kettlebell swings you'll be performing in your living room, the friction produced by the chalk in your hands will eliminate or minimize at least the risk of the kettlebell flying out of your hand and into the electronics console or down into the floor or down into the floorboards. Such an accident is entirely plausible and it will result in significant financial strain if you are ultimately held liable for the damages, whether or not you own the real estate. Plus, the distraction of having to seek out uh, of having to seek out the maintenance professionals or the maintenance personnel to properly repair the damages will interrupt the consistency of your workouts, derailing your progression in living room fitness. I know these things from personal experience, so take my word for it and get the chalk. The possibility of a rogue kettlebell flying out of your hand into the lap of your roommate or girlfriend is also as distinct possibility. In this scenario, I am also speaking from experience. On to the next item. Number five, two five to seven pound dumbbells for shoulder rotator cuff strengthening and for Y raises. The central dogma of living room fitness is consistency in the fitness habits for the working physician. This includes a relentless obsession with injury avoidance. In my days of primary care medicine treating active duty Marines and sailors, rotator cuff injuries were commonplace. Typically, you would see overuse injuries of the acromioclavicular joint, or AC joint, and in more dire circumstances, tears of the supraspinatus muscle, labrum tears, and in extreme cases, injuries to the brachial plexus. While none of these injuries are 100% avoidable, you can dramatically decrease the likelihood by regularly performing exercises which help to stabilize the scapula improve thoracic spine mobility, and reinforce good shoulder joint mobility. One critical exercise, which should be performed two to three times per week, are Y raises. This has you in the prone position, lying on your foldable weight bench. Hold one dumbbell in each hand with your thumb side tilted upward toward the ceiling. Start from the lowered position and slowly raise the dumbbells upward, squeezing the mid-back muscles, your rhomboids, and lower trapezius muscle fibers in the concentric phase of the movement. You should feel a nice sensation between your two scapulae at the top of the movement. Then let your breath out and lower the weights to the ground. The Y-raise puts your scapula in a position where the surrounding muscles are 
forced to activate. Through nor normal daily life of sitting at low desks with the spine in the flexed position, these muscles of the mid-back become shortened and weakened. This will later lead to injuries stemming from repetitive pressing movements, including movements such as the snatch and the overhead press. Even if you're doing these with a kettlebell, or regardless of whether you're doing these with a kettlebell, a dumbbell, or at the gym with a barbell. Again, the purpose of the Y-Rays is not to make you an elite bodybuilder or athlete. We are simply lowering the probability of shoulder injury, which will keep you consistently lifting weights three to four days a week. It is the consistency which compounds over time. We are talking year after year of consistent training. Through these exercises, you will or excuse me, through the consistent training, you will inevitably make better choices with eating, and this in turn will compound the benefits that you see from the gym or the living room. These habits feed off of one another. If all you did was rehabilitative drills, yoga, and stretching, you wouldn't experience any training stress and would eventually get bored with the process. You want to stay injury-free so you can continue to push yourself in training and receive the endorphins we all know and love from exercise. So there you go. So those are, I think I gave you five or maybe six, yeah, five solid pieces of equipment to begin your living room fitness journey. It took me about 15 years. And if I, if I look back into my college days living in a small studio apartment in Bloomington, Indiana, and some of the summer internships I did, one summer I was in Atlanta in a small apartment. Another summer I was in Mumbai, India. Of course, I was staying with family at the time, so I probably would not have been able to lug fitness equipment across the world, but I think at least a set of TRX cables or a jungle gym and some resistance band would be easily transportable overseas, and you could modify the exercises accordingly. And prior to that, living in my hometown of Lincoln, Nebraska, in all of these scenarios, I faced struggles in being consistent with exercise. And that's what you need. It doesn't help you to be really fit for four to six months while you're on an elect, some back-to-back -back electives in medical school or some easier outpatient rotations in your residency, only to gain all the weight back when you're on the wards or to completely lose all of the aerobic capacity that you gained from running consistently or the strength that you gained from lifting consistently, you get into this cycle of futility and then you lose the motivation for being fit in the first place. One of the first things I mentioned was the foldable flat bench. And 
if the only thing you did was Bulgarian split squats in your living room twice a week, you would have fewer lump, you would have fewer running injuries, especially if you combine that with a tibialis, some sort of, some sort of tibialis training. Uh, they actually make, so I should add this to the list. I just thought of this now. They actually make a apparatus that you can put weights on and strengthen your tibialis anterior, which, which this muscle, by the way, serves as a shock absorber for when you're running. So it, I used to get Achilles tendonitis and no matter what I did, no matter how much stretching I did, I would always get Achilles tendonitis or shin splints or something of that nature in all my years of running. And this was a problem when I was doing mandatory runs and hikes uh, during my military days up at Camp Pendleton. My shin splints got so bad that I I was prescribing myself capsaicin cream, like the red pepper or the, yeah, the red pepper extract and rubbing it on my shins just to numb the pain. And then I would go run on that. And fortunately, I didn't have any major debilitating injuries after that. I was just doing that to, you know, hold my own and keep up with the pace on these battalion jogs and hikes. So that could have all been prevented had I understood proper body mechanics and had I known how to set up my living room fitness center in my little apartment in Poway that I was living in with my then fiance. So that's all for today's episode of the Three Deeper Cuts podcast, the lifestyle magazine for the practicing surgical pathologist, bringing you high signal content fueled by 10% buffered neutral formalin. I hope you enjoyed listening. If you like this content, subscribe to the newsletter at 3deepercuts.substack.com. This is the hottest HPV-driven newsletter in Texas. Every Thursday, one email only about 3 Deeper Cuts. You can also find the 3 Deeper Cuts on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, as well as embedded in the Substack emails. We are going to stay on these platforms for the time being as I work my way like a salmon swimming upstream stream to 100 episodes. I'm excited to continue bringing you value and bringing you high signal content that you can apply in your lives or at a minimum at least providing you some driving entertainment for your commute to work. So for all of you tuned in, thanks for listening and we will see you again on the next episode. Have a pleasant week. Be safe, be healthy, and stay curious. Peace.